0: Well, we're gonna transition right now to the message. Um, uh, obviously, if you have any questions about where we've been in, in Southeast Asia, uh, you, can, you can talk with us after the service. We'd love to talk with you about our, more of our experiences there um, than what we got to share this morning. So uh, again, I'm gonna to try to uh, maneuver some of what I learned and what even you heard from us, even really what the songs were singing about. It's really amazing how God's kind of orchestrated things. Um, through this message, and so I just want to give credit to uh, the folks Thune and Walker are the last names of the guys who wrote the book Gospel-Centered Life. Uh, I want to give credit to them. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, and for those of you that weren't listening to that just a few minutes ago, um, I, it was it was authors like Spurgeon and Piper and Mueller and Stanley and Keller uh, that really greatly impacted me uh, uh, in you know, where we were in Southeast Asia. So. I've entitled our message today, Power and Splendor for Spiritual Growth. Power and Splendor for Spiritual Growth. We're gonna look at 2 Peter 1, 3 to 11. But before we do read those verses uh, together, let me just ask you a question. How do you wanna grow spiritually in the coming days and months? Maybe you haven't thought about that in a while. How do you wanna grow spiritually in the future? If you had asked that question, How would you answer that right now? What does that look like to you? What character qualities would you be interested in growing in as you think of your spiritual condition? Those same authors, Thune and Walker, referring to our text in 2 Peter, one of the reasons I chose this text, answers those questions this way. This is not going to appear above you, so uh, just listen. We could summarize our desire, they say, for spiritual growth as being fruitful and effective in our faith. We use those words because those are the words Peter uses. Peter sets out a set of instructions for the Christian life. It's like a progression of spiritual maturity. We'll see in just a second that if ever there was a how-to section of Scripture in the Bible, it's this section of Scripture before us. And if we read this passage too quickly... We might think that Peter's motivating us out of our own will, out of our own ability, out of our own strength. Right, that's our culture, right? We live in a culture that says, come on, pull yourselves up by the bootstraps. Come on, suck it up, get it done. And sometimes we can interpret scripture that way, but that is not, that is not what Peter says here. And I want us to be careful to see that. I want us to be careful because we can miss out, and I'm using these words intentionally, on the outrageous, outrageous goodness and simplicity that God shows us on how to grow spiritually in this text, to grow in fruitfulness and effectiveness. And my prayer is that uh, this morning, if we can all glean what could be life changing information, life changing truth from this section. This changed my life, and I'm hoping that you'll, at least in your exposure to it, will affect yours as well. So let's pray and ask God for his help. Would you, would you bow your heads with me? Lord, thank you for this time. Lord, we need your help. Like we said in worship and song, Lord, we need you. We desperately need you. Lord, I don't want to be remembered today, but I want your word to be remembered. Lord, would you come by your spirit and fill us up would you come and, and show your glory to us? Would you would you dazzle us, Lord, with your awesomeness through your word this morning? I ask that you would do that. I ask that you would accomplish that in Jesus' name. Peter writes this letter to us to refute some false teaching as is common with New Testament letters, right? But his main purpose for writing this letter was to remind the believers of the gospel and its implications in their lives in many different areas of their lives. And he seems at every time, like from his introduction all the way down to his final words of this book, from this letter, he's giving what's true about them in the gospel. He's doing, giving them what's true about God's t- disposition to them in the gospel. It's full of gospel realities. And he says as much in in the letter itself that this is his purpose to remind them. He says in chapter ver, uh, three, verse one, "This is now, th- uh, sorry, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder." He's reminding them. He doesn't want them to forget. There's a danger in forgetting. There's a danger, and there's an assuming of the gospel that happens in most churches nowadays. It happens in India. It can happen here. It can happen anywhere. He's reminding them to not forget. What is the gospel? We heard it a little bit during worship and during the announcements. It's the fact that the Son of God came down, and and as a baby through the Virgin Mary, who lived a perfect life under the holy law of God for our benefit, he lived that holy and perfect life and then he died our, sinner, our sinner's death. He was murdered, crucified on a cross, hung naked and shamed. And he did it for us. He did it for those who would believe in him. And then he raised from the dead three days later to prove that he was acceptable to God and that he, everything that he said was, was, was true. Everything that he did was right. And the gospel is if you Believe that those things are true and you accept them as, as, as true for you, as your Lord and Savior. You accept him as your Lord and Savior. If you turn away from trusting in anyone or anything else, but Jesus, you will have the gift of forgiveness forever. You will have eternal life. That's this amazing gospel that all of us get to interact with. And if you're here this morning and, and you're a guest, first of all, I just add my amen to, your, to you being here. Thank you so much for coming and being a part of this. And also, if you're here this morning and you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, you haven't seen the glories of the gospel and, re, and, and received them in Christ, I just hope that you'll listen with an open ear. And if you sense God calling you, I, pr- I pray that you'll put your faith in Christ even this morning so we look at this text, the big idea of just this section, kind of what's the main theme that Peter's trying to convey to us? And I would say it like this. It's kind of awkwardly worded, but I think you get the, the point. He says, remember, or this is my rewording of his, his main idea. Remember, right? He's calling them to remember. Remember Christ's grace, grace in the gospel, and splendor, his glory, are our only authentic sources for spiritual growth. Let me say that again. Remember, he's calling the church to remember. Remember, Christ's grace and splendor are our only authentic sources for spiritual growth. And there are two points from this text that I want to highlight that I hope shed light on this big idea. The first point is from verses three and four. Let me uh, at least tell you the point. Remember, Christ's grace and splendor results in us experiencing precious promises and right desires. That's what comes to us as a result of the gospel. How does Peter word that? Well, he says in verses three and four, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. By the way, this is the ESV. Some of you don't read out of the ESV, but this is the ESV translation. His divine power has granted us to all things that pertain to life and godliness. I think in the NIV, it says he's given us everything we need for life and godliness do you realize what he's saying there? Through this, believing this gospel, you have everything you need to live in this fallen world. You have everything. This, this country right now is upside down. You have everything you need to live a godly life in this country. The rest of the world is the same, upside down, crazy. But you have everything you need if you're in Christ to live a godly life. He goes on through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellent, right? It's, it's God who calls us. It's God who opens our eyes. It's God who shows us our need for a savior by which he's granted to us his precious and very, very great promises. There's promises in the old Testament that Jesus fulfilled and, and, and are promises for us. There's promises that Jesus gave and the apostles gave to us. There's very great and precious promises He goes on, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. That is crazy. What is he saying there? I mean, at least he's saying once you believe in Christ, the moment you believe in Christ, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity, God, comes to live inside of you and seal you until the very day you get to heaven. He guarantees your salvation. Wow. That's who, if you're in Christ this morning as you sit there, that's who you've got in you. That's amazing. (laughs) He ends with the clause, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. You've escaped that. And by the way, the implication there is he's changed your desires, right? I love the way Charles Spurgeon summarizes verse 3. This, this whole idea of great and precious promises. This quote is going to seem overwhelming. He's going to be like, okay, can we end the quote? That's the point. He is so overwhelmingly joyful, and so he's, he's, he's meditated on what has come to us in the gospel, and he says the following with precious promises, with precious blood, with a precious redemption, with all the preciousness of the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, may that be a precious faith which supplies our greatest want, delivers us from our greatest danger, and admits us to the greatest glory. Well, may that be called precious faith, which is the symbol of our election, the evidence of our calling, the root of all our graces, the channel of communion, the weapon of prevalence, the shield of safety, the substance of hope, the evidence of eternity, the prize of immortality, and the passport to glory. Wow. And there's so much more than that. This is what's come to us through the gospel. And by the way, we know that this saving faith that has come to us is really a gift, right? We know from Ephesians 2 that this, this faith in Jesus Christ is, is not the result of our understanding and works. It's a free gift of God so that no man can boast that he was smart enough to understand it and to receive it. And by the way, a way to identify a true Christian is that they now have a desire to love and obey God and his word. It's very simple. Even as God slowly changes their, you know, their desires to reflect his holiness. We're not perfect. I've been a Christian now for going on, I don't even know, 35 years, something like that. I think I'm more aware of my sin now than I ever was. but God's making me holy. So remembering our true new identity through these great and precious promises, seeing the change He's made in our desires is the result of the gospel in us. That's all I'm gonna say about point one. That leads us to point two. Remember, point two is Christ's grace and splendor inspires us to grow through remembering. That's important wording. It inspires us to grow through remembering. And first we're gonna look at verses, just verses five to eight because these verses are steps to spiritual growth. They just are. Here are the things the gospel calls believers to apply from this particular passage. Remember, we do these things after God accepts us in Christ. We don't do these things as a way to get or keep God's acceptance of us. That's really important to remember. When the Holy Spirit authored this line through Peter, or these lines through Peter, he revealed God's list of what it means to spiritually grow. Let's read it. I'll kind of comment on it as we go. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. So when you get saved, when you have faith, and you express your faith, and you receive Christ, quickly add virtue. What is virtue? That, that word in the Greek, te, which is what this letter was written in the original language, is the word for moral excellence. Some of your translations say goodness, right? But it really means moral excellence. The first thing you do after you get saved is get rid of immoral behavior and all of its expressions, right? Begin to work on that. And to virtue, add knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of the kingdom, knowledge of God, knowledge of the scriptures. Just add knowledge about God. But be careful Well, along with your knowledge, add self-control. Why do you need self-control with knowledge? Because it's easy to become proud and puffed up and you need to exercise self-control. And and when you exercise self-control, add steadfastness or perseverance, he says. Well, why do you need perseverance after stead, or I'm sorry, perseverance after self-control? Have you ever tried to exercise self-control over the long haul? It takes perseverance. It really takes perseverance and to steadfastness or perseverance with godliness. What does that mean? Just general godlikeness. That's what that word means. And to that godlikeness, in case you're tempted as you grow and, and the years go by and you're tempted to kind of look down on those who aren't as godly as you are, what's he careful to say here? Add brotherly affection to that growth in godliness. And to that brotherly affection, Add the pinnacle of the Christian virtue, which is love. at 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. That love that God is. Add that to your character quality. I mean, that's pretty amazing. That's an amazing list. But let's go to application right now. Let's go to application. When I think of application, I think of two things. I think of... What, what does God want me to do? What does God, how does God want me to respond to this? And then two, what's getting in my way to do that? Or what do I perceive as getting in my way to do that? Okay. Let's go back to the question I asked you in the beginning of the teaching. How do you want to grow right now? As you look forward, what are you, what are you thinking you need to grow on? in? Do you seem to, I'm sorry, do some of your desires to grow, the categories that you want to grow in, does it seem to be reflected on Peter's list? I hope so. But what about the obstacles we face to spiritual growth? What are the circumstances of our life that we kind of think are getting in the way? What would that be for you? What do you think would keep you from pursuing spiritual growth right now in your life? And things I've heard over the years, things that I've entertained in my own thinking over the years, maybe this, I'm really busy. You know, my job's really hard. I, 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 all I, I just eat, sleep, drink, job. I don't have time to pursue these things. I've heard this recently. I feel disconnected from God and his people post-pandemic, right? I'm just connect, disconnected. I don't feel like, I, don't, I can't even think of pursuing these things right now. I'm just trying to get my life back in order. Some respond, close, close relationships scare me. I've been burned before. So this whole talk of brotherly affection and, and love, mm, mm, not working for me. And I think then if most of us were transparent, probably the majority of us would say, I'm, I'm just not motivated. If we were honest, if we were transparent, we would say, I'm just not motivated. I struggle with being apathetic about growing spiritually. What are the what are the things that you face right now? Now those are the things that we think of right away. Those are the things that come to our mind. But you know what? Peter has a very different answer for what keeps us from growing spiritually. And this is what helps set me free. In fact, he gives a very different reason, a, a, a whole new category of what keeps us from spiritual maturity. Look at verse nine. He says this, for whoever lacks these qualities is, is so nearsighted that he is blind. Now he's talking to Christians, right? He goes, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. What's that another way of saying? Forgotten that you've been cleansed from your former sins. What is this person forgotten? or the people he's forgotten. What's that another way of saying? You forgot the gospel. You forgot how much God's forgiven you. You forgot how much he's he's cleansed you. That's the reason you're not growing. (laughs) At least it's the main reason. I mean, Peter had the chance here to say, you know, it's your job. That's the problem. You know, we understand. Or it's it's your apathetic. We understand. And he could have said that. But he's no. It's not your job. It's not your circumstances at all. They're just symptoms of the greater sim- uh, circumstance, which is forgetting, forgetting the gospel forgetting what's true of us and true of God toward us in the gospel. That's our obstacle, according to Peter. What wisdom. That's really encouraging. Because first of all, it's not something I have to go do, right? It's not something I have to add to the to-do list of, of the Christian life, necessarily. Hopefully I'm already renewing my mind or at least see the benefit of renewing my mind with what God has done for me and reminding myself of my identity in Christ. The power of remembering is amazing. The power of forgetting is amazing. How about you this morning? Have you forgotten what's true of you in Christ? Have you forgotten to remember, if I can say it that way? what your identity in Christ really is? Do you, have you forgotten to get joy out of that identity that he's given you for dying on the cross for you, for granting you salvation? If you have, it certainly has slowed down your ability and your your growth in the very things that you probably want to see happen. And by the way, regardless of your shortcomings and failures this morning, as we all have them, as a believer, if you feel as if God is currently, even to the extreme, if if you're in a place as you sit there that you feel like God's even disciplining you for sin, I mean, if it was that extreme, not that I haven't been there, I've been there a lot. You know what's true about you still as you sit here, as you hear my voice? You know what's true about you because of the gospel? He could never be more for you and love you more than he does right now. When you get into eternity future and you get a new body and you don't have to deal with sin, he's not gonna love you more then than he loves you right now. That's amazing. He looks at you, listen to me. This is not my authority. These aren't my, this is my principles. This is God. He looks at you with the very love and acceptance that he has for his son. Saints, that is amazing grace. And it's true. And his disposition towards you is always like that in Jesus Christ. You know, it's easy when we forget the gospel and then uh, kind of give in to our fickle feelings and we make poor choices. And, and soon we think of God like as, he, as he's distant. We look at, well, you might think of him as me looking down my nose at you going, is, is that all you got? Did you fail again? <laughs> really? You expect me to accept you based on that behavior? really easy to drift that way, isn't it? I mean, maybe I'm the only one, but I don't think so. Remember Amy's quote from Elise Fitzpatrick? It's true. It's true for you in Christ. It's true for me. She said this. This is an amazing quote. I am more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe, more loved and welcomed than I ever dared hope. That's you if you're in Christ this morning. That's me. That's amazing. It's a battle to remember for sure. It's a battle we're in. There's no doubt about it. I'm not trying to paint an all rosy picture. It's a battle not to drift from the amazing goodness that we've received. George Mueller, a a man of God who saw great things happen in the 1800s, experienced that battle, and he concluded simply this. The first great and primary business I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. That's the best thing you can do. That's the best thing I can do. How did George Mueller do that? He did it by rehearsing and not drifting. He did that by remembering and not forgetting daily. It so encouraged him, his identity in Christ, that he just wanted to grow spiritually. And when we begin to to regularly rehearse these gospel realities of all that God has done, our desires just begin to align with this list that is in Peter's letter to us. They just do. And you know what's funny? Not only do they begin to align with these, these qualities that God wants us to grow in, but it's despite our circumstances. All of a sudden, our circumstances aren't so big a deal. Yeah, they're, they're, they're worth recognizing. But God is in the business of changing our desires, and he does it with the gospel. He does what's true of us because of the gospel. He does what's true of God toward us because of the gospel. Before we close, let me just mention one major concern when forgetting to refresh ourselves in the gospel. And I see this pitfall experienced by so many Christians. Whether you're in the United States or whether you're overseas, it doesn't matter. This is true for many people, sadly. Specifically, the damaging pitfall of beginning to relate to God based on our performance instead of the gospel. It's a killer. So let's take a moment, let's look at a guy in scripture who was committed to performing to, to kinda of get God's acceptance and how that ended for him. Once he saw that, how short his performance came to being acceptable to God. So let's jump off of 2 Peter 1 and jump on to Luke 18. Many of you know this story. It's a story of many of your Bibles called the rich young ruler. Luke 18, verses 18 to 23. So a ruler, probably a synagogue ruler. That's probably what that means in the original language. This synagogue ruler who knows the Bible very well comes up to Jesus and he wants to figure out what he has to do to merit eternal life. Listen to this. Listen to this interchange or exchange between Jesus and him. He says this, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inter- inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, Jesus says to him, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And this is astounding. The guy replies to him, I, I've... I know that. I've kept all of these from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard this, when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Can I have the worship team come on up? So what's going on here? Jesus has this guy come up to him and Jesus directs him right away to the Ten Commandments or at least part of the Ten Commandments, right? And the guy says, I've done all that. He is so jazzed about his performance. He is so convinced that he has performed to God's expectations and standards. So Jesus does something extremely amazing with his words. You know what he says to him? He switches from the Ten Commandments to the Great Commandment. And he says go. What it, what it, well, let me just remind you. What's the great commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? We said that earlier. What does, he, what does he do here? He tells him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. What's that? Love your neighbor, right? And then come follow me. What's that? Love God with all your heart. And in one amazing sentence, Jesus reveals his heart and the guy, it says the guy just went away sad. Why? Because he realized in that moment that although he was boasting about his performance, he really didn't measure up. He didn't measure up. And although, although this story has other main reasons for being in the scripture, what we can see from this story and take from this story is that when you begin approach God because of your good performance and not by the gospel you start failing have you ever done that have you ever thought i'm not really feeling i'm not i'm not really feeling really close to the lord i'm going to just go serve i'm just going to go do something i'm going to go you know fill my schedule with sunday school and and helping out the church and 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 just doing good things you know i'm just going to go perform for god maybe he'll 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 show up maybe he'll warm my heart to him again maybe he'll he'll accept me. There's something wrong. He seems so distant. And then after time, have you ever done this? After time, all of a sudden you look at your, your schedule's filled, you're busy, but all of a sudden you're failing. You're just like, man, I'm, I don't measure up. I can't do this. I can't love like Jesus calls me to love. I can't be brotherly affectionate like Jesus calls me to, bro- you know, brotherly affection by myself. I just can't perform like this. And then all of a sudden you start feeling condemned. All of a sudden you start feeling guilty and shame. And you grow more and more distant from God, from your relationship with God. And if it continues, you start drifting away from your relationships in the church. And if it continues all the more, your feelings and your, your reality gets twisted and you're not seeing things things right. Your feelings are dictating what you think is truth instead of the truth dictating what is truth, instead of the gospel dictating what's truth. I love what John Piper says about this particular situation. He says this, my feelings are not God. (laughs) God is God. My feelings do not define truth. God's word defines truth. My feelings are just echoes and responses to what my mind perceives. And sometimes, many times, my feelings are out of sync with that truth. When that happens, and it happens every day in some measure, I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. This is his remedy. I try not to bend the truth to justify my imperfect feelings. But rather, I plead with God. Purify my perceptions of your truth and transform my feelings so that they are in sync with your truth. What does he do? It's just another way of saying the truth of the gospel. He brings that in and he informs his feelings. And just like the psalmist said, why are you downcast, oh, my soul? Put your trust in God. You don't have to be unhappy. You don't have to be whatever you're feeling. Remember what God has done for you. Remember the power of the gospel and the grace of the gospel and the goodness of the gospel, those overwhelming promises that he's given to you through Christ. How many saints do you know that are discouraged and depressed, struggling with panic as they look at the world around them? Now, this isn't the only reason that's going on in them, but it, for many of them, it's a big reason. They've forgotten the gospel, they've forgotten God's disposition to them in the gospel. Finally, and, and we will close with this, and it will just be a summary. Look at the blessings that we're sure to experience when we go after growing in this way. Look at verses 10 and 11. 10, if I had to summarize it, verse 10 says that we'll never fall. Hello, we will never fall is the promise as we remember the gospel. Now, does that mean we won't sin again? No, but what it does mean is we'll live out the Christian life with joy and confidence and less devastating sin. We'll stay safer than we would unless we forgot, if we forgot the gospel. What does verse 11 say? Verse 11 says, Our entrance into heaven, if we do these things, when our time comes, will be one of lavish provision for us. A warm welcome, a celebration that you're coming in to the gates of glory. That's amazing grace. That's amazing goodness. All because we're committed to growing spiritually, all because we're committed to the gospel. So how do we conclude? What choice will you make going forward? If you're doing this already, you know the goodness of this. If you're refreshing your mind regularly and your identity in Christ and who God is to you, you're happy in Jesus, just like George Mueller. But if you're not, if you're wandering, if you're drifting, If you don't know why you're sad as a Christian, we choose to remember. We choose not to forget. Because it is true. Peter's summary to us is remember, Christ's grace and splendor are our only authentic sources for spiritual growth. Let's pray. Father, we confess like like the hymn writer confessed. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Oh, Lord, each one of us, if we're transparent, would say, that's where we can go. But Lord, you declare with, with loud voice, with great joy, that we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. You've even given us a step-by-step procedure to grow spiritually and many blessings with it. That's amazing. But we don't want to forget. We want to remember. Help us with that. Convince us of that. For those here that are sitting here and saying, you know, I've, I've tried. I've done that before and it worked for a little while, but then I just stopped. Lord, give them a heart to renew their commitment to remember their identity in Christ, to remember your disposition through them because of Christ. Bless us. We need you so badly. And you have been so good. You have been so sweet and so kind. Pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.